players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Chains of Mephistopheles, Moat, Underworld Breach. What? It did. When? Well, that's embarrassing. Underworld Dreams and many others battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is sponsored by Cardboard Live, Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thraben University, and TheEpicStorm.com. back to another episode of Eternal Glory. Uh, here we are with episode 19, which is all going to be about the coronavirus and post-breach legacy world. I'm Phil Gallier, joined by Brian Cook and Brian Caval. How are you all doing? Great to be here. Pretty excited and uh, still healthy. Yeah, I'm also still healthy as far as I know, and this is the most social interaction I've had in five days. So this is great. Thanks for hanging out, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got bronchitis, so, um, you know, I'm I'm not down for the count, but I'm not in amazing shape. Could be worse. I've been told that one of the symptoms is a strong cough, Phil. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've been sick off and on since December, so I know I don't, well, I don't know I don't know, but I, su I suspect I am coronavirus free. Yeah, I learned last year uh, from a, a doctor that Pittsburgh is a wind tunnel of every allergen known to man, just like the way the mountains and the wind and everything and like the, the local foliage. And he looked in the back of my throat and was like, oh, you didn't grow up here, did you? And I was like, no, I didn't. How did you know? And I've been on a heavy dose of uh, various allergy medicines since then. So I wake up every day with a dry throat and a cough and congestion. So I wouldn't know if I have coronavirus for several weeks until like the higher severity, until the fever hits. I just wouldn't even know. So the county that I live in did not have a reported case of coronavirus until yesterday. So we're like four and a half hours north of the city. So they were telling people to not go to the city, but obviously some people did and then brought it back. Right. So what that really means is that it's been in your county for three weeks. They just got the testing materials to confirm it. Probably. Yeah, it's a, it's a sad state here as far as some of the scientific preparation and stuff goes. But, yeah, you know, say la vie. As of uh, mid last week in Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is, uh, we had no confirmed cases, but we had many people quarantined for being near the virus, like near confirmed cases, and they were showing symptoms. But they didn't count as confirmed cases because we had no testing materials. That's rough. Uh my fiance and I went to Wegmans at six in the morning when they opened so we could finally get food just because they've been selling out of everything every day. And even at six in the morning, they're like, yeah, we never got a truck full of meat for so like they just didn't have any meat in the entire store when they opened uh, because they've just been selling out of everything. It's been pretty insane. But uh, why don't we kick off the uh, quick hits? Phil, other than bronchitis, tell us about your life. Um. Life has been very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm a teacher, 
and all schools are closed in the state of North Carolina for at least two weeks, likely much longer than that. Um, I myself am, you know, internally preparing that I might have to do the rest of the school year online. Um, that's not the official statement yet, but I'm aware that it might happen. Uh, so I'm working on teaching myself Google Classroom and a lot of other basic sort of things of that nature to uh, prepare the kiddos to take Latin online, which is not ideal, but as a streamer slash podcaster slash generally tech savvy dude, I'm, I'm not too worried about it. Other than that, uh, somebody rear-ended me the other day. Um, that was that was cool. That was on the way to my coronavirus training. You seem like you're still healthy. Or still uh, safe, not injured. That's good. Yeah, I'm I'm okay. The back end of my car and my wheel well uh, don't look particularly good. And I'm not sure if I should really drive my car at this time. Um, but hey, self-quarantine and working from home is a okay place to be when your car is not all right. Yeah, is a body shop considered an essential service to the community? Like, are, are they still open at all? Well, before I can even get to that stage, I have to wait for insurance to get back to me. And they're like, Yikes. we'll call you again soon. Yeah, we're not essential. Sorry, sucker. Something that I've thought of recently uh, regarding like essential services is in two months, is everyone just going to have like really bad early thousands hair where it's like past your ears because no one can get a haircut? Hey, man, I've got a I've got a beard trimmer that could probably work on my hair. I, I'm no artist, but. I could I could keep me from going mountain man. Yeah, same. Oh man, I can't wait to can we start doing headshots from this episode until about like 3 months from now watch the hair progression. Uh we we could run some sort of uh, offer like whoever gives the highest donation this week gets a video of Phil shaving his head. Phil giving himself <laughs> a haircut for the for the highest tier of Patreon subscriptions. I don't know if Marshall wants that. Yeah. <laughs> Marshall, how much is it worth to watch Phil shave his head? Make sure to, to comment in your donation this week. We love you, buddy. On the line of magic-related things, um, I have been having a blast playing Legacy, though. I've been playing a bunch of, like, quote, really bad mono-black decks and, like, doing surprisingly well with them. Um, so I played a mono-black Curses deck. And I think I managed to get multiple turn one wins or effective wins with that deck, which was mind-boggling to me. And then I also played Death, which is the mono-black. I play all the combos deck with, like, Painter, Grindstone, Ill-Gotten Gains, Tendrils, uh, Merit Lage Dark Depths, Thespian Stage Dark Depths, and a handful of tutors to string it all together. So I've been having a blast playing silly things in that Legacy. That awesome. It's very freeing to have Breach gone. Can relate, even though I haven't been playing a whole lot. All right, so Brian, what have you been up to? So, like I just mentioned, I haven't been playing all that much because I've been remodeling my home office. I decided to add in built-in shelves into the the main wall that I have my bookshelves on and my TV was at. Uh, but I also decided if I'm going to remodel the room, I might as well get a nicer TV. The TV that was in here was actually uh, a hand-me-down from my parents when I was still in high school. It's like one of the first ever flat screen TVs. So it's like seven inches thick and you can like slide a DVD into the side and it has controls for the DVD player and all this sort of crazy stuff. Well, this has been my like 
TV in my like college dorm, post-college, my first apartment. And then uh, when I started living with my fiance, it became like my office TV. And uh, finally getting rid of it because I got a new one. I hope you're it's donating like it to the TV. Smithsonian. <laughs> What's your plan for this thing? It belongs in a museum. Probably. Uh, there's an electronics recycling like one day a year up here at like the baseball stadium uh, for the Syracuse Met. So whenever that day is, if the coronavirus doesn't cancel it, uh, we'll see how the heck goes. I tried to get rid of a TV recently. I recently got rid of my like, quote, Super Smash Brothers Melee TV. And I tried to take it to Goodwill and they looked at it and they're like, we don't take those here. And it was just too, too heavy, too old. They did not like the tube TV. But I've done doing other silly things like painting. I've done a lot of painting, uh, redid the radiators as well. But this part's actually like kind of a nightmare. I decided that I was going to take the dining room light fixture that my fiance doesn't care for and bring it up to my office along with the LED dimmer. And we no longer have the instructions for the dimmer. So I sort of just like guessing at how it worked with the light switch and I created an electrical short and it took three days of like me trying to figure out how to get power back in the upstairs of my house. Um, a lot of Googling, a lot of like trial and error. Everything on the internet though is like, please call an electrician. But like, if it's on Google, I want to figure out how to do it myself. I was practicing safe habits other than, you know, shorting hot and, uh, Neutral wires do not go together. I feel you. Fact. I feel you so hard on all that. And you just feel like God when you're done and it works. Uh, last yes. When I bought my house, I installed uh, motion lights on my back door and above my garage because my house had no security features to speak of. And a motion light will deter most uh, burglars, believe it or not. So I installed those and they worked. Like they worked like the first time. I had never done any wiring in my life. I had like YouTube in one hand and like uh, I was just I had the 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 surge checker, the like beep, 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 like you're going to die warning thing in my other hand. And it was great that it just worked on the other end. Yeah. So did you uh, buy one of those like uh, they're like a yellow pen that tells you if the wire's live or hot or anything like that? I did. And it saved my life probably exactly one time. Like most of the time things were what I expected them to be. But when I was doing the back deck, like the the guy who owned the house before me was clearly some sort of DIY electrician contractor. He has all sorts of like crazy looking things that work hidden behind the walls. And I found one of his nests of wires and I was sure like I would have, I guess it would have literally staked my life on the fact that this wire was dead. But the the little yellow pen lit up like Christmas and like I, I knew that I had to go find the the right switch downstairs to, to turn that off because it would have got me. Yeah. Uh, well, it took me three days, about 20 hours worth of working uh, in order to get power back. But my office is mostly done at this point. Uh, the TV arrived about an hour ago. So tonight after we're done recording, I'll put it up and pretty much be done after that. So I'll be able to start playing magic again. Uh, I've only played in two events. I played a league and then the prelim. Uh, the league I went two three. There was a lot of like strange decks with a lot of hate. I don't remember exactly what happened, but in the prelim I went four one. I beat Delver twice. Uh, I've been trying a cyborg island, which is a little strange. Most people play Carpet of Flowers, but I like the island because you can fetch for it. So you're going up to fourteen lands, and it's fetchable, unlike a random one or two of Carpet of Flowers. And you get to like cast Wishclaw Talisman or Defense Grid off two basics. 
So it's been interesting. But I went 4-1 and then got paired against Maverick, which is such a good matchup. And uh, I just mulliganed to four game one. And then game two, I kept a hand that made 14 goblins on turn one, assuming that I could use both my right of flames and then my opponent made or put a uh, ley line into play. And I just face palmed. And I was like, I just lost the game to ley line. Like, my deck's not supposed to do that. Uh, but four runs not bad. Uh, and like most people, I'm working remote now for the first time in my life. So much for. Uh, you know, like, when you get hired by a place, they're like, your job cannot be done remotely. Okay. Right. Yeah, everyone, uh, this is sort of like forcing technology forward into where it should have been five years ago. Like, everyone, like, all the things that are just suddenly possible, like, that we that the government can suddenly pay for. Like, oh my god, like, universal basic income suddenly on the table. Oh my god, <laughs> Medicare for all. Wow, suddenly the money's available. But uh, and like individual companies too, like, you know what? Everyone just work from home. You don't really need to be here that much. Like short of people who are like hands on, like the whole like service industry or like education. I mean, in Phil's case, a lot of education can be done online. I mean, I work in special ed, so you can't like you have to be hands on with those kids. But like uh, in general, it's amazing that everyone's suddenly figuring out because they have to that these things work. Another thing is that. People will often, at least in my job, still use uh, Microsoft Office products, where now they're being told that they must use Google products because it's easier to have multiple people work on. But all along, my department at work has been saying, hey, you should probably just use like Google Docs because it doesn't add hidden characters into your text like Word Docs do or so many things like that. And like convert your Outlook to Gmail is another thing that's happening, which makes me super happy because I do a lot of email marketing. And Outlook is a giant source of frustration. Some of my colleagues still have Internet Explorer installed on their machines and they use it as their primary browser. And I'm just like, what What else don't I know about? What else are you doing that is 20 years old? At work, I still have to test for Outlook 2003. Are, are you serious? Yeah, uh, because it's still a platform that has over 5% usage. So oh like, uh, we use... We use email on Acid to test our emails, and uh, it's still a recommended, like, hey, you should test for this. That's eye-opening. So, Brian, what have you been up to? So, I was preparing for the misery of March that is uh, in every educator's life. Uh, March is just this long wasteland, just like the full 31 days with no <laughs> breaks. Phil's laughing because he knows. It's and, so true. And... Spring break doesn't drop till like mid-April, so like March is just like this slog. But suddenly, I'm on coronation, and like Pennsylvania closed their schools for at least two weeks, and I th- things are getting tighter, not looser since school closed. So I I, I don't imagine that I'm going to go back on March 30th like we originally planned. Uh, my dad's a college professor in Pennsylvania, and his semester is officially online. Like they just, the kids never came back from spring break and they're not going to. Uh, And a lot of places are like that. Uh, The department of ed announced that schools aren't going to have to make up days lost due to the the virus. So it's a free for all at this point. Nobody really knows what's going on, but uh, it did break up March for me. So there's that. We'll, We'll see if I still feel that way. Uh, at the end of March when I've been in my house for three weeks. 
So I feel like Coronation could be like a Showtime show, and you could be a much younger uh, David Duchovny. I just picture the Red Hot Chili Peppers singing about it, like "Dream of Coronation." Yeah, there's like I'm not much of a singer. Enjoy that, uh, but yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers are my inspiration for that. Um, it's also been really interesting wrapping my head around quarantine. Like I'm pretty good at it. I'm not like the idiot who's out at the bar still, you know. But like every day I wake up and I'm like, I have nowhere to be. Maybe I'll see a movie. JK, I can't leave the house. Or like, uh, you know, just all these little things. Like I was going to visit my parents over spring break. Maybe I'll do that. JK, they live three hours away and they're senior citizens. I would be horrendously irresponsible to drive across the state and bring my big city viruses with me to their central PA location. So just all these things you have to recalibrate your thoughts around. I feel like I'm good at it because a huge portion of my social atmosphere is through like streaming and just BSing with all the various legacy people. So I feel like I'm still getting my, my social fix and I don't live alone. I live with my girlfriend. Right. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going stir crazy. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I was built for this. Like I can, I can wake up at like 9am, play some moto leagues with Netflix on the background, record one or two of them for YouTube. Then reconvene with my girlfriend for dinner and that like she lives with me too and then we watch a movie together and then i go to bed or i get a couple hours of reading in along the way like between moto leagues or whatever i love this she is crawling up the walls though like she she does not have the uh introvert lifestyle on lock the way i do i'll say this i'm someone who plays a lot of local magic i like supporting local stores and it feels a little weird. Like last night, actually, I'll hold this until we get to this part part of it. But uh, I just I'm so used to playing locals. It's like part of my life. It's like part of my social interaction. Last night, I just missed it. And it felt a little bit empty. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that, too. Like uh, Clubhouse Cards, uh, they're my my local sponsor. Like they're they're an awesome store and they run outrageous prizes. Like that's kind of their thing. Like the the entry fee is a normal amount but like for like fnm is frequently a 1.52k just like every single week so like it, it is actually part of my expected income that i top eight fnm like two or three times a month and that's worth hundreds of dollars like that's actually a revenue stream that i can rely on and wow yeah and, and that's like not even counting like i would have been on the road for star city baltimore and gp louisville this month and like I, i'm I'm pretty reasonable to like cash a big event and I, my sponsor covers a lot of the costs associated. So that's pure profit that I'm losing too. But on that local magic level, like just frequently, it's just like, that's what I do on Fridays. Like, what am I going to do now that Friday's gone? And like, there's no Tuesday pioneer. There's no Wednesday uh, modern. There's no Friday legacy. Like, it's just, it's just not a thing. So I'm actually a little curious about the payout. So my local stores from the Vault Games, uh, we mentioned them last week about their upcoming 2.5K, uh, might not be happening. And the, all of their uh, events other than FNM are $10 to play. And for 4.0, you get 75 store credit. 301.50, 3.125. And I've been told, especially from people in New York City, that these are insane prize payouts. Uh, but yours sound way more bonkers than that, so I'm sort of curious uh, what they are. Right. Let me... I'm going to try to pull up one of their events on Facebook right now and read out the prizes. Uh, 
If someone wants to talk while I'm pulling this up, uh, let's cover the donations. All right, go for then. it. So I would like to once again thank Marshall Arthur's our BFF who just announced an upcoming event that we'll cover shortly. But Marshall, with a huge donation, once again, uh, with the last episode, we love you, Marshall. And then we have two new donations, or two new uh, patrons, I guess I should say. Victor Bernhardt's. Phil, did I say that correctly? Uh, sounds pretty good to me. And then the other one is Bill Schlichting. I was not going to say that correctly. Yeah, um, I, I know Bill personally. He goes by uh, the handle Dr. Bill on Twitch, and he's been one of my longest followers. Um, another Death and Taxes player at heart. Um, played plenty of events with him, and he's traveled with me a few times, lent me some cards. Great guy. All right. Well, Brian's still looking that up. Let's cover some of the feedback from the last episode. This seems a little weird. Maybe we shouldn't have ordered it this way. Now that I'm giving myself a compliment. I like Brian's point about Breach Storm essentially being an A plus B combo deck. And though it, it was sort of glossed over as uh, pedantry in the cast, I think the distinction contains a lot of keys to beating the deck from gesture underscore on Reddit. Um, for anyone that enjoyed that portion of the episode, uh, Joe Dreyer, who's now doing uh, This Week in Legacy for MTG Goldfish on March 4th, covered that concept. Uh, it was called the Combo Breaker. I recommend checking that one out. Um, more generally, he's been doing really great articles every week, especially if you are new-ish to Legacy, or maybe if you're even an intermediate or advanced player. He's doing a great job of breaking down difficult concepts in a way that's intuitive, um, and I can't praise his stuff enough right now. Yeah, Joe is I read gas. every one. Yeah. Uh, so the, the next one's a little bit longer. I don't think we should read everything, but it's from One Goblin Lackey on Reddit. And it's essentially talking about how Goblin Lackey believes that Leyline isn't the card people should be playing, uh, essentially in a deck like Goblins, because people are prepared for Chalice of the Void plus Leyline. Um, is there anything else that I should call out here? No, that's that's the primary argument. Uh, we actually covered that in the episode, though, at least in my opinion, on diversifying your hate so you don't lose to wear tear. So uh, when Goblin Lackey was talking about playing Mindbreak Trap or Surgical or Red Elemental Blast instead, which all seemed fine. Um, it's not super relevant anymore since Ding Dong, the Witch is Dead. But uh, we do appreciate you listening. We appreciate the feedback. So thank you. Yeah. The, the point of diversifying your kinds of hate to make you as difficult to deal with as possible is 100% what we were trying to get across, and you're, you were doing that from a different angle. So I think we're, we're largely in agreement. So about that sweet prize payout. Yeah, so I, I, I dumped, jumped into Facebook, and they have canceled all their events like a responsible store would, so I can't actually tell you a real prize payout, but they always pay out in format staples. So if it's a modern event, uh, first place, place at a Jace. Second place, playset of Liliana of the Veil. Vale. Uh, I got fifth place in a modern FNM recently for a Expedition Windswept Heath. And I got fourth place in a Pioneer FNM recently for a playset of Walking Ballista. And it's pretty good. Yeah, it it's stacked. Uh, it, it's 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 good value. Then our last bit of feedback says, just wanted to say that the new co-homes seem great, and I appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you, Sanzia and Reddit. You're too kind. 
So I have something to add on feedback. Uh, this I had the, uh, this as a note to talk about in my life section because I've been thinking about it a lot for the past week and a half. Uh, I posted a Pioneer video on my YouTube like two weeks ago, and somebody commented, hey, nice video. What did you think about the Faithless Looting ban in Modern when it happened? And I've been thinking about that for two weeks. Like, what? <laughs> like... <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't want to be like a complete savage in case that person's listening. Like, clearly they they don't have a whole lot of outlets for their thoughts. But like, uh, get a Reddit, get on Twitter. Like, uh, there's there's Facebook has many groups you could talk about that sort of stuff. Like, I have no thoughts to add about the faithless looting ban ban in modern that happened over a year ago on my pioneer video last week. I just don't. I'm sorry. So, uh. Those of you giving good feedback, thank you so much. And those of you, I mean, thanks for watching my video, but like, damn, what do you say to that? I, I loved the looting banning as a modern storm <laughs> player. I, I I loved it too, but like, that's several <laughs> band cycles ago. Has this person heard of like Mox Opal or Oko or Once Upon a Time? Like, do they know about these cards? Uh, so someone that I actually play with quite frequently on a local level is pretty upset that Wizards keeps on banning cards in their deck. They tend to play a lot of uh, like silly combo decks or like fringe fun decks. And they played almost exclusively Mox Opal decks in Modern. And then when that was banned, they started finding fun in this like five color Titan deck with Once Upon a Time. And then that got banned. And now they're just like, I'm thinking about quitting because they keep on banning all these decks that I like, even though they're not trying to do anything degenerate. They just want to have fun. Like their person's favorite deck of all time is the Modern Cheerios deck, um, which is arguably like a little bit degenerate and it crushes Storm. But at some point, I think Wizards is going to start deterring people away from magic. Yeah, that is, I mean, that that's the the toxic part of bans. Like, as a as tournament players who are going to show up no matter what, like, oh, good, Breach got banned. That's great. Now we don't have to worry about that. But someone somewhere paid a bunch of money for a Breach deck that they can't play now. And, like, depending on what your collection is worth, like, what sort of investment in magic you have, like, that's, like, there were a bunch of legacy events coming up like they're all canceled now which we're going to talk about later but like there there was a bunch of real big money legacy events coming up that someone might have put a ton of reps into building and testing breach and that was just a big waste of time and money for them and i feel that sorry anurag yeah sorry anurag uh but really it was you if you just didn't stream it and didn't put up such great results nobody would know about it and you'd be spiking a 20k in a couple weeks so it's your own Mm -hmm. fault really uh sadly that is not the case brian right uh, <laughs> are you sure we have to take at least one pot shot at honorog each episode i believe it's in our contract notes Un- unclear but sounds about right i didn't think we were telling it was people a condition about of me taking on this co-host position that i get to jab honorog at least once per episode. yeah when i extended the offers to you guys i thought that was going to be kept quiet so nah we're kind we're kind of loud we just start talking and don't stop. So before we talk about the canceled or postponed events, uh, maybe we should talk about hypothetical upcoming events. Um, There's some real sweet ones. Fingers crossed. On on May 16th, the uh, Joe Brennan via the Bearded Dragon is running a 15K, and that is a legacy 
there is a legacy event and a vintage event. It's not a legacy and vintage event, as sweet as that would be. And but it's it's in New Jersey. Uh, it's not at the Bearded Dragon. They rented some hall. There's a Facebook event. Uh, check it out. Um, but May 16th is like right on that edge of like, is the world going to be back to normal in time or not? So uh, I do have one fear. So let's say the event fires and everything's fine. Uh, air quotes fine. But you get 200 people in a room where like the coronavirus has just died out. Seems like a really I don't know. I like Joe and I don't want to curse his event or anything, but like it seems like a dangerous situation to get yourself into. Hopefully it will be long done by then and no one has to worry about coronavirus. But like the back of my mind, I'm going to be like, don't touch my fucking cards. Don't get me sick. Use gloves. Yeah. uh, Like I was planning on going to SCG Baltimore this past weekend because like uh, things hadn't really exploded yet. Like things happen very quickly. Like at this point, uh, it's now the Tuesday after that. And even I'm like, you idiot. Why would you even think about that? What's wrong with you? But if we remember how quickly this went from like, nothing, it's no problem. It's it's just a cold, wash your hands, you'll be fine. You're young and healthy, don't worry about it. To like, oh my God, you're killing your grandfather by going outside. Like that happened very quickly. So I was planning on going to Baltimore and I had all sorts of like weird behavior locked and loaded to like, like I, I was going to like, not shake any hands. I was going to absolutely insist on rolling high roll or not high roll, uh, even odd instead of high roll. That's just like one less thing for anyone needs to touch. Uh, like I normally give my opponent's deck a good shuffle. I probably just wasn't going to do that. Like cut and pass or like, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would have trusted opponents not to mess with it at all, but I don't know. It would have been crazy. I have a bunch of like uh, hand sanitizer, like spritzer pen type things that I, I would have been, my pocket would have been full of them. Like cut your deck, spritz, rub, like go back to my deck. <laughs> like it would have been really stressful and miserable and star city did the right thing by canceling that because I, I would have been just beside myself trying to not touch anything. Well, your grandfather thanks you. And uh, I th- according to my fiance is that I believe it was Spain had a couple cases of young people dying from the coronavirus. So it's getting worse. Yeah, it's out there. It's bad news. Um, so anyway, moving back to good news. On August 1st in Ohio, uh, our wonderful patron of the show, Marshall Arthurs, is running a 40K himself. Uh, August, I hope, will be enough time to at least get things under control, like maybe get some testing kits distributed to the state governments in, in, in that time or something. Like, so we at least have a clear picture of what's going on. But uh, yeah, Marshall's got a, a, a 40K. I don't think it's cash. I think it's cards. Uh, I think he's offering up like a Lotus and other stuff. Uh, like The Lotus was the door oh, prize. Oh yeah, that was just I a door prize. Someone for signing up is going to get a black Lotus. So uh, I made sure to be on the uh, the soft. There, there's not a sign up yet, but I made sure to message Marshall and be like, yo, I'm in. So hopefully I have a spot. When I was trying to figure out my electrical issue, I called Marshall. I'm like, you're handy. Like, do you know what I should be doing? And then he talked me through it like a nice oh, person. Nice. So if Marshall doesn't let me into his 40K, I'm going to drive to Ohio and kick his ass. All right. Yeah, that sounds good. Make sure to do that on the day of the event so we can all watch. Because I don't think a fight between you and Marshall is going to go the way you expect. I expect to get my ass kicked. <laughs> uh. So if you want to watch Bryant Cook get his ass kicked, 
come to this event on August 1st in Ohio. Is that better or worse than the Lotus Door Prize? One person's going to get both. It could be you. Oh, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. So I don't know if I actually covered this last week, but did I say how I, or I guess I should have said last episode, did I cover how I met Marshall? Is this going to be like a How I Met Your Mother thing, and it's going to be like the entire rest of the podcast? Yeah, it's going to be 14 seasons, and uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. The same age, once you're done, like the children, like how they never aged in that entire right. time. and you're somehow na- narrated by Bob Saget. Uh, that's the dream. Uh, but short story is Marshall sold me my polluted deltas, and right before then, I had been scammed on PayPal out of a set of Japanese full polluted deltas. I was like super upset and very untrusting of anyone. Uh, fortunately, PayPal reimbursed me, even though I did friends and family like an idiot. Yeah, and I had zero idea who Marshall was. A friend was just like, "Yeah, he's a high end baller." That's like the entire description I had of Marshall, and he came up to me. He's like, "Hey." I have a set of deltas if you're interested. And I was like, am I getting scammed again? And then he's like, yeah, I want 4,500. And I was just like, that would be a little bit too much money for me. I have that much money in my bank account, but I really wanted to like sell cards to pay for this. And then I was like, I could probably do like four grand and that would leave me a little bit of a buffer until I could sell, you know, four grand worth of cards. And we like haggled a little bit. And then he, was unwilling to budge. So I was like, I just think I'm done. And then Marshall came up to me the next day and was like, I guess I could do 4,100. And I bought it, which pretty much emptied my bank account. I went home. And then with by one week later, I had sold like six grand worth of cards. I didn't realize, but I had like four foil creeping tar pits that were all like $90 at the time. I'm like, why do I own all this stuff? So that's how I met Marshall. But, uh, there's one more upcoming tournament. It's a 100K that Jeremy from Missouri MTG will be announcing shortly. Sadly, Jeremy's 20K in Missouri this weekend was canceled this upcoming weekend. Uh, our episode was going to be about that, but, you know, coronavirus and whatnot. Brian had mentioned that the Star City uh, tour had been pretty much canceled up until May. They announced yesterday that I believe the first two in May were postponed as well. Yeah, so this is it's pretty brutal. Uh, they they canceled a couple last week, like with Baltimore, they announced another one. I think it was Syracuse, and then they just announced that two more, like through April, have been canceled or postponed or wh- whatever they're doing with them. But they're not happening as planned. And for people like me who play exactly the right number of SCG events per season to queue for the Envy, like I'm not going to be on the leaderboard. I'm not going to play in the the players champ. That that's not my life. I'm not grinding the tour, but queuing for the Envy is pretty important to me because that's a great tournament. It happens twice a year. It it has a very pro tour feel to it and uh it would be really cool to win it again. So, all of those things like I I w- and I three of the events that I was going to go to are canceled. So, like I count on those like nickel and dime, like three points this weekend, three points this weekend, got exactly my 10 or 15 points, whatever I need to queue like that. That's my bread and butter and it's gone. So I just got to hope that the uh, team pioneer in Louisville in May doesn't get canceled and that I win it to, in order to queue for the envy. So uh, about the envy, 
they announced that there would be large legacy events there, which is kind of cool or whatever. Uh, like, it's cool for legacy, but at the same time, like, what if I qualify for the main event? Now I can't play legacy. And, like, they'd never talked about that with her proposal. And it sort of bothered me at the time because, like, I'm someone that doesn't play that many Star Cities, but I'll, like, I'll, like, top eight a challenge or, or I guess they're called classics or... But or I top eighted a couple like last year and then that qualified me for the next. But like I don't want to have to choose between playing in this like 100 grand event or playing in a legacy event. Like I should just get to do both. Yeah, that that's tough. Uh, I have been they they've done that a couple times where they have super sweet eternal events uh, running at the invitational. And for one of them, I. They had a Legacy 40 Duels, like, two-day event. It was basically, like, a Legacy Open, but it, it it had, like, a different entry fee, and it paid out in cards instead of cash. And that started on Saturday. So if you didn't day two the NV, then you could still play Legacy. Uh, still, that that's that's rough if you plan on day twoing the NV. Um, the other one they did, they had a uh, Vintage for Power on Friday, a Legacy Perfect for power on Saturday and then team eternal on Sunday, which was a little better because that way, like if you show up to play the envy, you know, you're out for vintage. If you day two, you're out for legacy, but you can still team eternal. Like I like the one day events that at least gives you a chance to, to salvage on the days you're not still in the envy, but unfortunately short of just like running their own eternal weekend separate from the envy, uh, that that's a tough thing to compete with. I don't know how they could fix that. I did not play either two or three invitationals that I was qualified for, specifically to play in the legacy main events that were offered at the same time. Yeah, and that that's a choice you can make too. Like and and that's sometimes just like the the smart choice, like the the value play. If you are a legacy specialist, like learning pioneer and standard to play the envy might just be a, a low value proposition for you. I ended up playing the last invitational I played. I qualified for one or two or more, but decided not to go was the one where Niv Mizzet, the six mana one had just come out and I was playing for top 16. I kept a four land hand that was like pretty stacked and lost the game on like turn 16 with those four lands in play and none others. And I had people behind me just like aghast that I never drew another land the rest of the game. And I had like stalled out as long as I could before I died. And I was at the end of that event, I just felt so defeated that my deck had betrayed me up. Like it had gotten me that far and then betrayed me. I will never play another invitational because I got mana screwed <laughs> that one time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, my my last invitational, uh, I got an unintentional draw. I, I'm not going to name names, but it was with a, a known player. And I had them locked out with Microsynth Lattice. And it was just a matter of time until I was able to present Lethal. And they took their sweet ass time the entire game, making every decision, their shuffling, sideboarding, everything took forever. And a couple times I thought to myself, I should prompt them to play faster or I should call a judge. Then I was like, nah, they're a respected grinder. Like, they'll do the right thing if it comes to it. They did not do the right thing. They they happily took the draw when they were stone dead, 100%, can't win the game. And the lesson there is call a judge on slow play. Don't be nice. Don't expect your grinder opponent to do the right thing. Uh, it turns out that person was in the uh, the player's championship points race, and taking the draw actually left them more alive to make the player's championship than if they got the loss. So, like... I 
I had no way of knowing that calculation was in play at, when our match started, but uh, definitely should have pushed harder and uh, don't let that happen to you. Uh, word to the wise. And that ended up costing me $1,000. I top 32 that event. And if I had won instead of drawn that match, I would have top 16. And that's my last envy story. I'm trying to do a little better next time. All right. So uh, GPs are also postponed, which is sort of unfortunate. Uh, well, you know, it is what it is. But last episode, I mentioned the from the vault 2.5k that is being postponed. There was also supposed to be a 2k this weekend that was modern. Uh, that is being postponed as well. Gaming Etc. postponed all of their events, according to at least the Leaving a Legacy Facebook group. So it looks like a lot of stores are just postponing their events or even their locals. Not all are, but most should. Um, but what does this mean for players? There's this great thing. You might not have heard of it. It's called Magic Online. Is it intuitive? Um, well... Is the client user-friendly? Um... Oh, geez, that's... Can I play in a PTQ if I want to spend an entry fee to get into it? Uh, well, there are these these points that are kind of made up and a little hard to get. And Well, all right, it's the best we've got. But they're giving us Vintage Cube back. All right. I love Cube. Magic Online. For what it's worth, I actually do love Moto. It was pretty unintuitive when I was getting in, but I'm hooked at this point. It is my drug, and uh, I want more. So Vintage Cube is back. You'll see me forcing Storm and burning play points. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to second that. I actually I, we joke that Magic Online is not that great and it's far from what technology could make it. Uh, I I don't know who needs to talk to who and what wallet needs to open up to make it happen, but Magic Online is a perfectly functional platform that I genuinely enjoy playing. I I'm not grinding the pro circuit on it like I don't actually play PTQs. I I'm lucky to be in a position where I don't have to, but the just like logging in to play a league league every night after work or whatever is genuinely a pleasure. Like it's so nice to play magic from your couch. So Ma magic online's great. I actually really like that they got rid of dailies and then went into leagues because you can just play whenever you oh, want. Leagues are so good. They're so much better than like, like if you, if you aren't in MTGO yet, leagues are this thing where you pay 10 bucks and you play five matches at your leisure. Like you can play one, go to bed, wake up, play two more, go to work, and then finish the other two. And you get prizes based on your record. And it's phenomenal. Like, uh, back, if you only played like 10 years ago or whatever, you might remember daily events like Bryant said, where you had to like sit down at four o'clock and they would pair Swiss rounds. And like you have to wait for the round to end to get paired with someone else, like a real magic tournament. And it would really eat up your day. And that's just not the case anymore. You can approach Magic Online as casually or as competitively as you want to. So with Legacy, there's uh, been prelims like most other formats. But this week, we actually had a very large prelim. It was 44 players. And I was I was like, hey, this will only take me like two hours. And then I can do this other thing that I wanted to do. Because all the prelims have been like two hours, two and a half hours. This prelim was all five hours. Every single round went way past over. Uh, there was, was collusion miserable. at work there. There was a reason for that. Okay, well, that person can go fuck themselves. Uh, but every round took forever, and it was just miserable. And don't be that person. There's no reason to do that. But uh, people have things going on in their lives, and you're just being inconsiderate. 
it honestly felt like a small legacy challenge, which happens every Sunday. Uh, recently, the challenges have been growing, and I think they're only going to continue to grow with the coronavirus. But 44 people, I remember when I playing one of my first challenges, it was only like 58 people. I mean, they've grown pretty large since then, but that prelim was essentially a very small challenge. We have a lot of opportunities. Well, we have. if you're working from home, you probably have more opportunities and more flexibility to actually make some of these prelims work in your life. Whereas previously, I had the chance to play like the Thursday night one, and that was essentially it based on my schedule. Now I might be freed up to do things a little bit differently. Who knows? Yeah, I've definitely been looking at that, at that too. Like now that I'm home for minimum two weeks, uh, like I, I don't really like the scheduled events because I don't like feeling like I'm at a magic tournament when I'm at my house. Like it's just the, it kind of pulls me of like the, the stress of like, I should be doing laundry versus like the stress of I should be focusing on my match when like if you're doing one or the other, you can focus. But I, I do love leagues. And, but now that, I'm just mostly sitting around. I, I've been looking at the prelims a lot more uh, favorably. But you can do both. I do laundry while I play. I, I That's know. the beautiful it, it, thing. Like, if you're, like, there are clearly people who are just onto the Magic Online lifestyle where, like, they can just get up between rounds and go do laundry, cook a meal, whatever. Uh, like, I watch streamers sometimes who you see them just, like, get up and their, their chair is just sitting there. And like nothing's really happening on the screen and they come back with a bowl of cereal and they're just eating it. And I never got that level of comfort with interacting with my computer and living my life at the same time. Even when I was streaming, like if I needed to eat, like I would frequently forget to eat when I was streaming. But like if I remembered to eat, I would like duck off the camera and chew quietly and then like creep back up. And I would make sure that like it was my opponent's turn when I did it or whatever. Like I, I just never got comfortable with the the juxtaposition of IRL and online life. I would rather stream for three or four hours in the morning, take an hour break and then stream for another three or four hours than eat on camera. I don't know. That's what I'm talking about. That's weird and bad viewership for everyone involved. Yeah. But like when you're streaming the, the scheduled events, like when you're in the challenge or the prelims and you have to wait for that round to turn over, I don't know what to do during that time. Like I only streamed leagues during my streaming days. Like, if if like I if I just win or lose in twenty minutes and it's like thirty minutes left in the round, it's like all right, folks, I'm gonna get a well, cereal. Some people play like other games or other matches. Or yeah, they'll play the worm game or something silly. Uh, that's part of the reason I record my challenges and then at the end I just upload each match individually. Um, but honestly, with going back to what does this mean for players? I would recommend avoiding locals, to be honest. There's no reason to take any risk. When they say to quarantine yourselves, they're not saying go hang out with 20 friends at a shop. Like, that's just another way of contaminating each other. Uh, I would stay home, play Magic Online. Or if you want to get creative, you can record yourself playing paper. Uh, And then, like, I don't know. There's, like, ways, like, you could talk through your lines while goldfishing or things like that. There's creative ways that you can use paper magic and not have to play magic online if that's your thing uh but just don't contaminate each other stay healthy stay beautiful yeah there seems to be like two kinds of game stores out there right now there's ones that have just shut down all gatherings like there are ones who are like our our play tables are folded up put away they've been cleaned there's nothing here if you show up you can buy something and then we want you to leave and i've even seen some organizing curbside pickup where you can call in like 
I, I want like a box of Throne of Eldraine and a copy of Pandemic, the board game. And they'll meet you on the curb with it and you pay with your credit card and minimal human contact. And then there's others that are just fearlessly scheduling their events as normal. And I imagine those things are motivated out of necessity. Um, last Friday, again, before everything went crazy, don't be mad at me, I went out to dinner with my girlfriend and our waitress had kind of a scratchy voice. And I was like, like my brain kept snapping at hyperspeed back and forth between what the fuck is wrong with you? Why aren't you home? Do you know there's a pandemic? You're working as a waitress with the pandemic around? Like, what's wrong with you? I hate you. And then on the other side, it was like, oh my God, this person works for tips. They're not going to pay their rent if they don't show up. And game stores are are that person right now. Like, uh, I think we're going to get into this a little more moving as we move this conversation forward. But like game stores, a lot of them can't afford to shut their doors for a month. Yeah, which is actually our next topic. So great transition. But a lot of these stores live on very small margins and going two weeks without firing an event might just put them under. Uh, Phil was saying it before we went live, but Phil said 10 to 20 percent was his number of expected stores closing. And that's sad. Um, I think so many stores, especially at the small, you know, LGS level, are normally just barely scraping by. You know, they keep the lights on. They play their pay their employees. They put a little bit away each month. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's a labor of love rather than a huge, you know, pile up bags of money in the closet or under the bed sort of situation. And if a lot of these places lose all of their income for a month, two months. It's not the store that I play at, but I do know a store in the area where after everything is said and done at the end of the year, the owner has paid his employees uh, you know, keeping the store afloat, rent, mortgage, all that good stuff. At the end of the year, the owner only makes forty five grand a year, which like it's a fine living, I guess, for if you're like non college educated and you don't have any like skills, like actual real world skills. That's fine, but forty five grand a year to feed a family and support your spouse or whatever you have to do isn't great. It's fine. It's certainly above poverty level, but it's not ideal, especially for someone running a business, in my opinion. Yeah, and that that number actually sounds high for for a game store owner, like a someone running their own little mom and pop shop in any field, really. Like, I mean, I, I'm not an economist. I don't know, but uh, I imagine keeping food on your table, paying your mortgage, keeping your store open, paying your employees is the dream. Like if you if you don't owe money at the end of the year, you you did it. And uh, like taking home 45 a year, like I guess it depends on where you live, cost of living or something. But like in Pennsylvania, you can you can live on 45, like very comfortably. I, quote, worked for a local game store that was trying to start up in the College Park, Maryland area over a summer. And the guy had a wonderful collection had had some ideas about how to run a store that were unique and interesting. And I think he made it about four months before he just said, yeah, it's not viable. And he just couldn't keep the bills. The paid. Pittsburgh area in it specifically has a lot of stores, like more than it should. Uh, the, the store owners are famously hostile towards each other. And uh, one of them once explained to me that uh, 
an economic model of uh, like population and interest like to support a game store would support three stores in the greater Pittsburgh area. We have about 15. So I, I imagine that like, like there, there's a joke in Pittsburgh. That's not really a joke. It's that no one will cross a river to get anywhere. And uh, if you're not familiar with Pittsburgh geography, uh, the Allegheny river cu- cuts in from the North, the Monongahela river cuts in from the South and they merge into the Ohio river and then carry on West from there. And that we have a bu- the city is just on all three rivers so no one will cross a river to do anything like even if it's like a 15 minute drive it's like uh i got to i got to go over a bridge like i don't know if i want to go do that and that's reflected in what the city looks like so we have game stores in almost every neighborhood like you never wherever you are you can have a game store within 20 minutes that store might suck but it exists and i imagine that Almost all of them are going to get pounded during this this quarantine. So for stores that are a little bit better off, I think this could end up having some silver lining. Um, one thing that's happening is the market is crashing. And if you're someone that has saved up money, now is a, a, an amazing time to be buying Magic cards. So it's starting to reflect a little bit on TCG Player, but card prices are lowering. And if you're someone that has the capital... Buying while the prices are low seems like a good investment if you can hold out, you know, the few months of coronavirus. Um, get the staples that you can, stuff like that. It's sad, though, like you're taking advantage of a virus, but that's capitalism. And some people are going to lose their jobs. They need to sell, which is tragic. It really is. But somebody has to be there to buy their cards. And, you know, that's often card stores. And it's a way for them to survive during this downtime is, hey, we have money. We can give you money for these things that so magic is a luxury, I guess is what I'm saying. And, you know, it is what it is. Also, if you're one of those people who's sitting there with like 20,000 unsorted cards that you haven't looked through in the past five to 10 years, while you're stuck at home, maybe, maybe flip through some of those cards. See if you have any uh, random cards that might have shot up by literally $50 since they've been sitting in your bulk box. Yeah, I... I have done that twice in the last 10 years, uh, and I think I make about $20 an hour doing it, like uh, sorting out, figuring out what I have, what's extra, what I can sell. Uh, at the end of the day, I have a nice sorted collection and a big pile of money. And uh, if you just have shit laying around, now's the time, like figure out what you got and you're going to have more than you think. So I'm not sure if it's a national thing or just New York State, but the governor said that any expected event less than 50 should be halved. So if local game stores are still firing events for some reason, uh, so if you're expecting 40, you should limit it to 20. Uh, I know for a fact that our local last night tried to fire and we typically get 12 to 20, literal zero showed up. That's where we're at currently with this pandemic. Yeah, uh, in in Pennsylvania, we've been told to close all non-essential businesses, and I, I I don't think that a game store can argue that they are essential, though it, it is just an ask at this point. It's not an ordinance or a, a decree. It's just hey, please, you know, do it. But uh, like I said, uh, we have we have the, both the camps: the ones who shut down last week and the ones who are plowing forward this week. 
So one thing that I think is pretty essential here is support local businesses. This isn't even just Magic the Gathering stores. This is every store, every shop in your neighborhood. These people are going to be struggling for money. And if you can somehow give them your money so that they can get by, it helps a lot better than ordering from Amazon and being put on hold. I don't know if the two of you saw the announcement, but they're putting all non-essential orders on delay. And I love Amazon. I get things that I shouldn't through Amazon. I get like toothbrushes and deodorant and hair gel and so many other things. But if you can support local shops right now, this is the time in which it's more essential than ever. So that goes for game stores too, but just in general, buy local. Yeah, a great thing to do to pass the time when you're quarantined with your uh, spouse or family or whatever is play board games and your game shop might sell those. So that's a good way to continue funneling money in, even if magic feels like a bad investment right now. Um, On the aspect of board games, I want to make one announcement. If you think you're going to be stuck somewhere for a long time with the same group of people, it's really the time to consider branching out into something like Dungeons and Dragons, Gloomhaven, that ambitious board game that you've always wanted to play but have never had time to play. This this is a great opportunity. Yeah, I'm going to co-sign that. Uh, my, my close friend group, they're serious board gamers, and it's always like kind of miserable whiplash for me when I game with them because they're like, Let's bring out this game with 9,000 pieces. Uh, you can learn the rules in an hour and a half, not a big deal, and we'll be done by Thursday. And I'm just like, Jesus, this is not fun. But like, they've gone through that game four times already. They have some strats developed. They have they have a little internal metagame. They don't need to review the rules. And like, the second playthrough is so much better than the first on games like that. And like, when when you're like a week into quarantine with like, you and your three roommates and you're all serious gamers and you all really figure out the nuances of this like seemingly miserable game. Like it, it'll start to be fun. I know that you mentioned it uh, earlier and it's somewhat topical, but pandemic I've played that game. I hate it. I do not recommend it, but uh, I do love Catan as cliche as it is. I think it's a game with a lot of very interesting strategies that you can do. I've recently tried another game. I can't think of the name, but it's essentially like uh, the zombie apocalypse mixed with Dungeons and Dragons. And I thought that was actually pretty interesting. It's a board game uh, for like the D&D miniature sort of thing. Uh, That was fun. I think that it's very difficult to win and perhaps they should change some rules to make it better for players because you kind of die quickly, but it's interesting. Yeah, I really like Pandemic because it's the players against the board. So like it. You can play it with your friends who have 10 more reps in than you, and you won't just get buried because they're on your team. So that, that's that been a good experience for me. Uh, I'm into lighter games, too, where you can learn the rules in 10 minutes and be done with the game in under an hour. Uh, Quacks from Quedlinburg is an awesome game. I think it won game of the year last year or the year before. And uh, basically, you're, you're these like uh, wizards who are making potions and... You buy things to put in your potion, then you reach in your sack every round and pull things out at random and hope the potion doesn't explode. So at some point, your potion will deterministically explode, but you just like push your luck, like run the numbers. Uh, it's a very Bryant Cook style mathematics. Like, can I do I have the win here? <laughs> Is it worth going for it? And it like it's fun for like the family, like kids could play quacks. Uh, I recommend that game highly. So for something that if you're a little bit more solitary and you might live on your own or just have a dog or, you know, have alone time, 
and you still want to support your local store comic books i'm a huge comic book reader not many people know that i have two bookshelves that are just absolutely full uh a lot of image books that's the company their books are amazing so you can support your local game store by buying uh, comic books the series that actually got me into comic books is why the last man brian k vaughn who is more well known now for doing saga uh, Saga has won like comic book of the year multiple years in a row. So you can look, check out Brian K. Vaughn, Saga. There's others. So I read The Walking Dead, but he's now doing Oblivion Song, which is super interesting about aliens. There's also Outcast, which is an HBO show now, which is really by, originally by Kirkman. So uh, it doesn't have to be superheroes. It doesn't have to be Batman versus Superman or whatever. There's other interesting stuff out there. East versus West is a political sort of comic book. Uh, it's it, it's futuristic, but it has a lot of current political climate uh, in there, so that's interesting. I guess kind of last thing on that note, if you enjoy board games and you're stuck by yourself, remember that a lot of those board games have apps too. So for example, I really frequently play the Ascension app on my phone because I love Ascension as a board game. And when I'm you know bored, stuck between rounds at event, I'll just whip that out and play play a couple rounds here and there. Um, so I've been told that game is essentially like you're just drafting storm over and over. Uh, it's not really inaccurate. It's a guilty pleasure. <laughs> yeah. I see that dominion on the shelf behind you. Uh, we're on a video call, but, uh, Phil's got dominion behind him too, which is also just build your favorite storm deck. But I, I love deck, deck building games too, drafting games. Uh, I have Ascension. I have dominion. I have the, the DC deck builder where you, Batman, you just draft a bunch of kicks and you get to kick everyone. And, there's a bunch of different versions of that, and they're all pretty playable. So what does the coronavirus mean for Magic the Gathering overall, guys? If you're into Magic Online or Magic Arena, it is probably a great time for you. You will probably have more opportunities to play, more varied online play options than you're used to previously. But if you're used to Paper Magic and a huge part of your social life is going out every Wednesday or Friday night, you know, getting a drink with your buddies, playing an FNM or something like that. Um, that portion of your life is probably going to be radically different for the next month or two. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've seen a lot of arena tournaments popping up, which is not a thing that have existed before the coronavirus forced everyone into their homes. Uh, like arena obviously has like drafts and uh, the, the ladder, the constructed ladder. But there are people running uh, actual like cash tournaments with buy-ins. And uh, I think Pascal Maynard is spearheading one of these efforts. Uh, I know that a there's a large tournament that happens every year in the Seattle area that's getting moved online. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it yet, but uh, there there is a an annually scheduled event that has been moved onto Arena. There's a lot of uh, level three judges and Hearthstone admins uh, who are working together to figure out how to fire a big community event for real money on arena. Oh, honestly, we should talk about judges for a minute. Um, just speaking of people who are probably going to struggle, you know, I, I know a lot of people because I, I was a judge myself for a while um, who judging is their like secondary source of income and how they support their, their hobbies and a huge major portion of their portion of their social life. Um, and that revenue stream is just hard shut down for them uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's a tough time for judges right now. I know uh, Ross Merriam was running a uh, charity stream to support judges. Uh, so check in with Ross on Twitter, uh, see how you can get in on that. 
I know uh, Eric Dustin Brown, Judge EDB. Uh, he is a judge superstar. He's a GP uh, core member of the team. And he was posting uh, links where you could support judges if like a judge has a Patreon or a GoFundMe or something. He compiled them all in one spot. So there are efforts being made to support judges. And a lot of them are, uh, like you said, some of them use judging to support their hobbies. Some of them use judging to support their rent and their life. Uh, I know uh, there are some judges who are like freelance musicians who judging is their steady paycheck and that's off the table right now. So uh, helping out those people, if you have the means to do so, uh, find, find a source to distribute, spread the wealth around, help out people who need the help. That would be a good time to do that. So something that I've been thinking about is if there's a way for Wizards of the Coast to help support local stores in some capacity, maybe like a lowered product or something so they can make slightly better margins. But this could also be said for judges, like maybe there's something that Wizards can do for judges. Um, I'm not sure what that means, but perhaps Wizards could extend an olive branch or do something great for them. Uh, would be a good sign of show of faith, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. Yeah, it's an awkward time for that because judging just this year left the hands of wizards. There's now the Judge Academy, which is a standalone company that has no direct affiliation with Wizards of the Coast. It, it's like a uh, professional certification. Like I, I'm a certified behavior analyst. I pay my dues and I get to wear that credential and apply for jobs. And that's now how judging is run as well. So Yikes. I, I don't I don't know if there's bad blood or if it was just like a lateral move that everyone agreed on or what. Like, I don't know if Wizards is particularly motivated to throw a layup out to the the folks who work for this other company that's not them anymore. So uh, that's an interesting water to navigate. Uh, like, I don't think Wizards is in charge of judge foils anymore. They still make them, obviously, because they're the only people who can make magic cards. But I don't know if they're in charge of distributing them or choosing what they're going to be or any of that. So in general, I don't think I've loved the e-direction that Magic has gone the last two years. But honestly, it's not looking so bad right now. Uh, everyone, I feel like I'm in the majority of people where there people love paper magic. But I think electronic magic is going to be Magic the Gathering's bread and butter over the next few months i think they're going to see higher online sales through magic online tickets and vintage cube and arena i've never actually played arena i don't know if you if they can make money off that i i but, haven't installed that i will never install that well i guess like if they put legacy on it we can talk but that's so not the direction they're going well let me be the young whippersnapper here who says that arena is actually just delightful to play uh you're not going to be able to play Legacy Modern uh, like a lot of us want to, but if like going infinite on Magic Online, like having your events pay for themselves, is a long term proposition. Like that's that's not really easy to do, and you need to build up your collection first, so you need to own cards. Arena, you can put like twenty bucks into that and draft for the rest of time. Like and and it is keep what you draft, so you can build a collection. There's daily quests you clear, like Hearthstone and the other games, where it's like, play 20 blue or black cards, and you get 500 gold. And then you can use that gold to enter another draft. And the drafts have real prizes that can join another draft with. So you can just go on forever and actually grind up to Constructed from your initial investment, whatever it is. 
So uh, Arena is actually just really delightful if you like draft standard and what's called historic, which is the smallest eternal format that exists. It's like the Arena card pool plus some random shit they also put in Arena. So yeah, I think they're going to see higher sales than uh, online Magic has ever seen before. And I think that's actually going to be sort of interesting if that helps Magic the Gathering push more towards e-magic rather than paper i hope it's not a long-term uh like if they make any decisions based on the next two months will that i hope it doesn't end up being a long-term thing i guess is what i'm trying to say here i imagine that uh paper events will explode on the other side of this like i think gps are gonna cap star cities are gonna cap like when people take a couple months without paper magic as an option and realize what they're missing i I think they're gonna just charge out as soon as it's available well for the next two months they get to know what it feels like being a legacy player am i right <laughs> oh got him oh fire yeah so uh why don't we talk about the second topic of today we've probably talked a l- enough about coronavirus uh but post breach legacy which seems way less exciting now than when we originally made the show notes <laughs> All right. Um, so kind of transitioning on to our next major point here, we want to talk about legacy in the post-breach world. Um, and we want to start with the things that are probably going to be the losers of the breach banning. And I think one of the most obvious ones is the chalice decks. In the breach metagame that we were living in, it was like a grand time to be a chalice player. Like the chalice leyline decks were very strong, so long as you were also presenting uh, an adequate clock or other angle of attack on your opponents. And we're going to see chalice slide back to kind of its regular positioning, um, where it's just a powerful thing that you can do, but maybe not the best thing to be doing on any given weekend. Phil looks sick or disgusted when talking about this. Chalice of the Void brings him so much joy, and he just looks like he's going to vomit talking about Chalice of the Void getting worse in the metagame. I had so many trophies with completely unplayable piles that had Chalice in it. Like, Dino Stompy, Mono Black Stompy, like, 5-0. Easy. So expect a little bit less Eldrazi and maybe, like, Mono Red Prison and decks of that nature floating around the room at your next major event or in your, you know, legacy challenge, as we might be looking at in the immediate future. Part of the reason why is Oko, right? Did you cover that? No, we didn't. We didn't start talking about Oko yet. Oko is like one of the the clear obvious winners of this uh, this banning because it was one of the most powerful things that you could be doing in the format. And I don't know if uh, you've been on either side of the uh, Oko versus Red Prison matchup, but my God, that one card destroys the deck. Everything you know and love is ruined. I haven't played Miracles since Oko came out, just because I never wanted to get Oko's online or on paper. So it's just been, you know, six months since I've actually played Miracles, which is kind of sad. It seems like uh, the Sanctuary is like such a sweet card to play with, but I just haven't made the switch. And I've been told that Miracles plays a lot more mid-rangey now. And it makes sense. They're playing a lot of like creatures and planeswalkers and stuff like that. It's a lot more of being on board magic which isn't really what I enjoy doing. Like, I hated playing Bonfire Mirrors in Modern, or I guess that was standard. Uh, but I just don't like mid-range magic, personally. I think it's kind of boring. So I'm probably not going to enjoy New Miracles. Yeah, I haven't played actual Miracles in a very long time, like, with the Miracle mechanic involved. 
uh, I recorded like one league and I played it very poorly because I didn't understand how much Mystic Sanctuary changed. I just copied a GP winning list and just got what threw it to the wind. But I have been playing uh, like mid range blue, like the exact deck that you don't just describe not wanting to play, where it's just starting on turn three. It's just like I got Mentor, I got Teferi, I got Oko. Let's dance. Like I'm gonna shove crap onto the stack until one of us is dead. And then you got going up the curve, you got like Jace and Palace Jailer, and like there's just not even room for counterspell. Like you, your counterspell has to be forces of negation or will because you're tapping out every turn. And it's kind of fun. At, but if you are that like, uh, like Bryant wants to play or like Anurag, where like drawing cards is worth anything, like any cost to draw another card, uh, then you're not going to have fun with. Uh, the the mid range like mentor Oko it decks. very much feels like jund to me from other formats. It's definitely jund. It's absolutely you're playing jund. the good stuff at every slot on the curve, and you have so many haymakers, and you have cantrips to solve jund's major problem, which is you're in top deck mode quickly, and whoever draws the better card first is going to get ahead. So right, it, it's like jund plus. Super jund. Well, I think that goes along with why I believe the next deck is a loser is Ad Nauseam Tendrils. I think that Veil of Summer is going to come back. Veil of Summer was a big issue for Ant before the printing of Underworld Breach. With Breach being printed, a lot of people started picking up Ant again because you could like slot in a Brain Freeze or two with Underworld Breach. So a common playline would be like Ritual Ritual, or I guess just Ritual LED Infernal Tutor crack for red get breach uh and then escape your lion's eye diamond tutor and then get your brain freeze and then you could win off four mana and that gave ant a new line but now ant is back to being slightly more clunky with dark petition and uh past in flames and your ad nauseums aren't super reliable so on top of being weaker to veil your deck's clunkier again. You're worse against Graveyard Hate, which seems silly, but it's actually true because now you're more reliant on that plan. I, I don't know. It just it doesn't seem good to me. I don't think Ant is really a loser due to the banning, but that doesn't mean I think it's good either. <clears throat> so I think Ant was basically unplayable in the Breach metagame because the Breach deck was just doing everything that it was doing, but better, faster, more consistently with more flexible answers. And so I think Ant just reverts back closer to its previous position, which was like, eh, if you're a good Storm player, you can maybe deal with the hate, but um, I can't overstate how good Veil of Summer is against that deck, since it stops win conditions and it also stops your discard, which was your primary way of picking through your opponent's plan slowly over time. So I don't think Ant got worse but it was kind of like left in the gutter. Well, Phil, the problem I have with your argument is that what you described is it's just worse than Jeskai Breach. That was the format, Phil. Everything was worse than Breach. Like, of course, like it's still a loser. A loser is a loser is a loser. <laughs> yeah, I, like to to hammer on the, the positioning of Veil of Summer a little bit, uh, I recorded a league yesterday uh, where I was playing the, the mid-range uh, Blue Soup, Monastery Mentor deck, and I was playing against Storm of unknown variety. Like, it, it was, I'd only seen, like, lands and cantrips so far, and 
uh, we were we were limping into the mid game, and I had Veil of Summer and Supreme Verdict in my hand, and I had three lands in play and land number four in my hand, and I felt like I couldn't lose. And then they revealed, surprise, we are the Epic Storm, and off three cards they were like Lion's Eye Diamond, Crack it for Blue, discarding Echo of Aeons, draw seven, Burning Wish, draw seven, Grape Shot you, and my. My hand that Ad Nauseam Tendrils could not beat lost because it was not Ad Nauseam Tendrils. Like having a win condition that can just win the game now and not be blue or black is is just like such a big deal. And I know Brian's been saying that for the last six months. So uh, I, I can confirm from the driver's seat, you can watch me lose what seems to be an unlosable game on video on my YouTube if you're interested in that. Uh, I'm sure Bryant will I can't wait. pop some popcorn after this and go watch that match on repeat until he falls asleep tonight. I, so when you were halfway through describing that, you said it was the Epic Storm, and I read the show notes of Veil plus Verdict. I started to slouch a little bit. I was like, oh, no, I don't want to hear the story. And then it got way better. So thank you. Yep, yep. I had uh, I had the boxes checked against one of the decks, but Epic Storm has one additional box there, uh, which is the Kill You Now with my red card. Red, two mana red cards are great. One of them just got banned. Yeah, they are. Uh, we still have two more. Yep. Now we need to ban Grape Shot. I've been saying ban Right of Flame for a long time. People just don't listen to me. So Yeah, that's safe. Bug Delver. Hey, it's banned in Modern. Uh, <laughs> Bug Delver. I, I think it's a loser, but like not because it's a bad deck. I think that it just preyed on beating combo decks. And there's going to be less combo decks running around. Uh, so like it still has, you know, Veil of Summer going for it, but then it's discard gets worse. The best combo deck in the format wasn't playing Veil. Combo decks are not going to be playing Veil. So I don't think Bugdelver is a huge loser. I just think its position got slightly worse, if that makes sense. Yeah, and playing against Veil. Like it gets Veil, but it also has to play against Veil. And uh, the colors in Bug are black, blue, and green. Green isn't known for its removal spells, and Blue and black are the cards that get wrecked by Veil of Summer. So especially with like uh, going up the curb to like Abrupt Decay or Assassin's Trophy, you ever spent two mana to have your opponent counter your uncounterable spell and draw a card? That's so bad. Like Delver decks can't bounce back from that. Like it's a good time to have Lightning Bolt in your deck if you want to be a Delver deck. It's also probably a good time to play a deck that just like dodges Veil of Summer completely. But we have one more loser before then, Phil. All right. Death Shadow. So it's another Delver deck. Sounds like all Delver decks are losers. Why does anyone play them? I think there's an entire chat group that's going to be pretty upset with that comment, Phil. Oh, no. Yeah, we just got canceled. It's Thanks, okay. I'm Phil. in Delver chat. It's fine. Wow, Andy's bragging. Hey, I don't get kicked out of every chat that I'm in. You did now. Now you're done. Yeah, Phil. Have some decency. But uh, Veil of Summer, pretty good against the blue and black deck. And... Uh, yeah, most shadow decks don't splash a third color. I've seen Bug before for the surprise Berserk plan, but I think Death Shadow is probably going to go back into its corner. It really preyed on beating Jeskai Breach, which is no longer, you know, a legacy deck. I feel like there are like seven Death Shadow players that all wear cult robes somewhere, and I feel like they're all like really hot on that deck all the time, and they're always like tweaking and working on their tech. And... I never see nearly as much Death Shadow as I expect to see based on how many people talk about that deck. Yeah, it, that's one of those things that, like, uh, the, the online versus paper metagame, again, like, online, 
everyone is good. Everyone has access to all the cards. And uh, if you want to grind your, your treasure chests, you got to play a good deck. Uh, in paper, not so much. It's like, these are the legacy cards I have. And most of those are modern cards. So you don't even need that many legacy cards to play Shadow. So I still see Shadow floating around in the locals. But uh, I I did play against it online. It's actually in that Bant Mentor video. Like I, I, I did spike the uh, 1 in 5 to uh, play against Shadow online. But I beat it pretty soundly. I feel like I see Arkin playing Shadow quite a bit from time to time. And that's about it. Yeah, and Arkin plays everything. Arkin is a, a full-time legacy streamer. He's got to keep it fresh. Going back to the online versus paper thing, and this is something that I've like had this discussion multiple times, and people tend to not believe me for some reason, but it's just the truth, and I know why they don't believe me. Uh, but when you are playing online, Storm is like 10% of the online legacy meta, and then people prepare for paper events based on the online metagame. But paper events, I've, I don't think I've ever seen Storm be larger than 2% of the meta. It's just because all of the very good Storm players all happen to play online. And in paper, people that play other formats don't switch and just randomly play Storm for an event. Like Storm, you're, you're either in the camp or you're out. It's not a deck you switch to. So even when a deck like TES or Ad Nauseam Tendrils are Tier 1, you often don't get people switching to play that deck just because you don't go from playing Delver to playing Storm very easily. It's a learning curve, and it's not something that's super intuitive to do. And I don't know. I just like I think it's a misconception that I just thought I would bring up. No, I agree with that completely. Like the uh, like I am a player. I've been in deep invested in eternal magic for 12 13 years at this point i own all the cards i could play storm i have reps with storm but even like going into gp atlanta last year uh, which was won by storm i knew storm was well positioned i knew storm was good against drug delver and uh the whole ren and six mana like dark ritual you're dead nice planeswalker but i just didn't make the switch because i'm more comfortable playing blue like i'd rather cast force of will than dark ritual even if i think dark ritual is better which kind of segments into the winners of the breach banning i'm gonna take this one the epic storm i'm pretty excited uh the deck playing silence just left the format so i don't lose when i cast my veil of summer into activating wishclaw talisman anymore uh so that's pretty huge uh i've only played in the two events i did scrub out of a challenge so who knows, maybe people will cut their Storm hate and I'll stop running into Deafening Silence, but Storm is going to be very good again. Uh, I know that there's only been a couple events so far, but it's going to come back. It's going to be strong. It was good before Breach, will be good after Breach. Yeah, Epic Storm also picks up an extra check mark because the blue decks are Astrolabe decks, and Astrolabe is an artifact, and those decks, Null Rod is like blood moon against them in some situations like you can't play a four color deck with seven basic lands and null rod to turn off your own astrolabes and epic storm leans so hard on the artifacts these days like with the the opals and the talismans and stuff like i would love to just shove a bunch of null rods in my blue decks but then i would have to rebuild them and cut colors so it, like you you lose the Snoko mirrors because you don't have Pyroblast anymore, but then you you gain in the Storm matchup because you actually have a thing that is relevant. Like, Epic Storm definitely wins 
based on the the necessary configuration of blue decks these days. I faced the five color pile deck that was running back to basics. Anything's possible, Brian. But there's also like non-Norod hate that people can be running. Like Deafening Silence is just a backbreaker. It still works with your Snapcaster mages. Uh, I've seen Meddling Mage out of some blue decks. Like there's other permanent based hate other than Norod you can run. At this point, the Storm decks are priced into boarding for these permanents anyway. Like I'm boarding in Abrupt Decays and Chain of Vapors now. Like I'm going to beat you on the stack thanks to the Thoughtseize, Norod, and Defense Grid. Or Norod. Uh, <laughs> Defense Grid, Thoughtseize, and Vale of Summer. So I'm going to win the stack race. So now I have to prepare for your permanence. Like, I just know that I don't have to care about the first one anymore. I also think that in the short term, the Epic Storm benefits from people going down on their combo hate. Because I think there's going to be a response to Oko and maybe, um, like, Dreadhorde Arcanist or something like that um, being new pillars of the format. And I think if people start shifting more to beat Oko and we start seeing fewer copies of the dedicated combo slots that were in the sideboard... Um, that being on a storm deck is a great place to be. So before the breach banning, I would I would have said that Miracles was the best deck in the format, and I think a lot of people would tend to agree. But I think that is a little bit uh, long sighted. Is that the word? Uh, because the two weeks before breach was actually printed, Delver had made a big resurgence and was starting to beat Miracles again, which it's the cylindrical thing, but. I think Delver might actually be the best deck in the format again and not Miracles, and it's just not talked about enough. I know that we mentioned a couple of the Delver decks being losers, but I think overall Blue-Red Delver and Grixis Delver are probably the best decks. Yeah, if we revisit like the, the HJ Gotic tech of like the, the Mystic Sanctuary Painful Truths in the board, so like the Delver deck is just better at trying cards than Miracles post-board, and it's it's got the clock against combo. like Like that... That old H.J. Kaiser Grixis Delver list from around Christmas might just be great again. That said, I do think the uh, the blue piles, the blue mid-range, the blue jund, a.k.a. Miracles, is good again. Oko is great. Vale's great. Monastery Mentor is good. Um, what's not to like? Ryan, you're the expert here. Yeah, so uh, I agree with all the things you said. Um you get to play Oko, you get to play Vale, you get to play Monastery Mentor if you want. There seem to be like two divergent camps, and there's a Miracle build that wins pretty much just with Oko um, and Planeswalkers, and it still has Terminus. It's got Mystic Sanctuary to reset the Terminus. Might have You might see Entreat the Angels in these decks. Uh, the Entreat the Angels plus some number of Mystic Sanctuaries so endgame is brutal. Like... Normally, you can see when your Miracles opponent is positioning themselves to entreat the Angels, and you can set up with that, like, that Stifle or, like, that Force of Will. You can win that fight, but then they just fetch and do it again, and then they fetch and do it again, and they, they can cast and treat the Angels two or three times, and if any one of them resolves, you're dead. I've also seen, like, turn three just make a blocker, turn five make a blocker and then they'll save that last sanctuary until the late game and they're like all right this one's going to kill you right yeah like uh that that end game is very very good and i'm a big fan of monastery mentor and i think these two plans are incompatible like if if you want to be like jamming your your mentor and pushing small advantages like as soon as you get breathing room jam this uh thing make two monks and then hope they win the game uh that's not really compatible with like the the Terminus, Accumulated Knowledge, Take Your Time, uh, Mystic Sanctuary plan. 
uh, like you can't play Mystic Sanctuary in a mentor deck because on turn three, it, it's really hard to get value. Like your your Mystic Sanctuary can't come into play untapped on turn three. Like you don't have rampant growth in your deck. So uh, if your your plan is based on jamming that mentor to fairy Oko on three, uh, you just can't play that card. So those are two different games. I'm a huge fan of Mentor and Miracles. That said, I think with the play patterns of Legacy right now, I would personally be playing the Entreat the Angels plan just because if I'm playing the Mirror Match and I decide to jam my turn three Mentor, let's say our opponent tapped on in turn two for some reason. All right, so let's say hypothetically our Mentor lives. I can now untap and slam my Oko on your Mentor, and then we both probably have some number of forces but you have to force first, which means I'm probably going to win this counter war. And I think that this isn't likely a winning pattern where the entreat pattern is better in the long game, which is better in the control mirrors. It's better with all of my fetch lands. So I think in the mirror, entreat's probably what you want. Right. If we're lining up entreat the angels and uh, or mentor versus Oko, it's an obvious entreat the angels is a better plan. Uh, I, I also agree that that is probably a better deck. Uh, to play a better way to build these blue piles right now and you know it hurts me to say that i think it's also true that the entreat build is probably better against our next winner blue green omnitel because i think it's kind of scary to just tap out for a mentor on turn three against a deck that runs as much permission as blue green omnitel does yeah so i played against blue green omnitel in the league i recorded with mentor yesterday and it branched me oh my god no game was close at all it was an absolute crushing um like show and tell decks have always been tough for the the fair blue decks but you could pile up enough like containment priests and fluster storms and pyroblast to to get over the finish line but the blue green omnitel up to four veil of summer and they have a green win condition it's and and they're they're primarily on omniscient, so containment priest doesn't even do anything. Like it's after getting housed by this deck yesterday, I put it together and ran it through a league just before we recorded tonight, actually. And I went four and one. I have not played this deck ever in my life, and the loss was a two-one loss where I just jammed too early against four color loam. It was basically like it was like a turn three on the play show until Emrakul, and I was like, hope they don't have Knight of the Reliquary, and they did. Like. And if they didn't, I would have won that game, but they did, so I lost the game, and is what it is. I could have played more patiently and made sure that didn't happen, wait for an omniscience, and probably would have easily won that match. So uh, a 4-1, including a punt, on no reps, no understanding, like, I probably sideboarded super suboptimally, and the deck just felt insane. It felt good enough that I ordered an Eureka in paper (laughs) off eBay immediately. Like I just I just spewed the three hundred bucks. Like I, I yeah, this is a deck I want in my holster. So one thing that I uh, would like to bring up is one of you mentioned how much permission this deck has. Unless it's changed since the leaving a legacy open, the deck really only has four veil, four force in the main deck, and then like a counter as a cunning wish target. Its permission isn't actually that large. So when I'm facing it as a combo deck, the math in my head is the classic math from Storm, which is like, a, I'm a 60%, you're a 40%, let's play Blackjack. Like, let's go. Like, I'm willing to take that shot every time. Yeah, I, I would agree. In my experience playing it today, 
the amount of permission the deck actually plays compared to like a sneak and show that had like spell pierces and days and whatever in it, like it's not even close. If you're if Veil of Summer doesn't line up as a serious permission spell, then you're actually really light. So there there were spell pierce builds floating around a while back. Have those fallen out of favor now? I mean, I, I don't know the complete aggregation of lists these days, but uh the list I have it only had it had three veils in the main, one in the board, and then four forces in the main, and then out of the sideboard it had a disallow. Yeah, and it's pretty standard it. for them to just be four force four veil fill. Like sometimes you'll see an odd spell pierce here or there, but it's not super common. Okay, I guess a lot of my experience is still from pre breach blue green omnitel then. Yeah, and that makes sense. Like the way the deck is constructed, uh, you, these are offensive counter spells. Like if you're settling into a defensive role, then it's not working. Like you want to be aggressively cantripping to a point where you have show and tell plus veil of summer, and that's that's your only plan all the time. Like just just work through it. However, that said, this deck does play Shifting Ceratops, uh, Phil Gallagher's Invitational card, in the sideboard. And I did have a huge moment of satisfaction against Blue Red Delver, where I just ranched them with two dinosaurs. And that felt really good. Like, they, my hand was, like, basically empty. They had Dreadhorde Arcanist active and chunking, and, that like, drawn two cards a turn. They had seven cards in hand, and I was just, like, Shifting Ceratops, and they died. And it was awesome. So the next deck is, in my opinion, a huge winner. And I'm super excited that it's coming back because it's such a good matchup for me. Gak. Who doesn't love Hogak? He crushes all the blue decks. I don't love Hogak. Crushes them. Sends Brian in a bad mood to the loser's bracket. And uh, it's, it doesn't have any disruption for me, so it's beautiful. Uh, so bring the Gak back. It, all the Leyline decks are slowly disappearing. It's terrific against blue decks. Uh, it can really play a great long game, and I think it's probably slightly better than 50-50 against most Delver variants. If I, was, if I wasn't a Storm player and I was looking to do well in any given event, Hogak seems like a very reasonable choice. Yeah, the deck is very powerful, and like, like Bryant said, it just runs over blue decks. Uh, you need something like Monastery Mentor and Two Force of Wills to to cheese a game one win off of Hogak. And even then it, it's, it's going to be a close race. So it's, I guess like uh, Terminus is pretty good. So the, again, another nod to the miracle build over the, the mentor build of blue these days. But yeah, I, I don't like as a blue player, I'm always like, ah, oh, damn it. When my opponent leads on stitcher supplier, it's just always, misery. I think you just have to be so fearful if you're the mid rangey blue deck against this deck, because the cards that you normally tap out for, like Oko, Teferi, Mentor, that normally just win you a game, don't, because 12 Hasty Power might come out of the, the graveyard off of a couple of Engivines, or Hogak comes in, or a Horde of Zombie comes comes in. Um, Hogak has such great inevitability, especially in the game ones, that I think it's hard to take down a set. So the next deck would be Doomsday, uh, a former Storm deck, now a Thassa's Oracle deck, uh, is becoming pretty powerful. I know that a lot of online players that were once playing Breach are now shifting to this Doomsday deck because it is a Veil of Summer, Force of All, somewhat discard. They usually play a couple combo deck in. It plays similarly to Breach. Uh, 
But part of me in my head, and this is nothing against the work that's been done on Doomsday by Monkeys Can't Cry, a.k.a. Ethan Formulachea, is that if you want to be playing Doomsday, Blue-Green Omnitel is a more powerful deck that does very similar things. And I think Doomsday is seeing a lot of play right now because it's cool and it's new and it's fun and you're doing wild things. But I don't know if it's actually better than Blue-Green Omnitel. And that's not a slight against Doomsday. It's just comparing deck strengths. Yeah, like what you said makes sense. Uh, I can also confirm from my sample size of one from the league I played earlier today that uh, I did defeat Doomsday with Blue-Green Omnitel because I have Veil of Summer, which stops all their disruption, and I have Force Will of my own, and I'm faster than them. So uh, I would agree that the Omnitel deck is just probably better than Doomsday, though it is really exciting that Doomsday is back in the format. Because that, like, these old guys like us, like, we remember, like, Doomsday, like, stand still, like, do you remember uh, Decree of Justice? Like, we whisper about things, like, remember when Deathmark was in Merfolk? Like, these are all things we can talk about, and, and Doomsday, just having a real win con again is pretty cool. To Doomsday's credit, it can win through some really weird scenarios where you're like, I'm safe. Doomsday, cycle three or four death, or not death shadow, uh, street wraiths, and draw the last card of my deck and win with Oracle. It's like, nice thought. Yeah, edge of autumn. There's also like the the Doomsday on Magic Online when you have the chess clock and you don't have to worry about round time. Uh, when I played against Doomsday today, my opponent went turn one Thoughtseize, turn two Doomsday in game one, and I was just like, okay, I'm dead. But it took them four and a half minutes to make their pile, and I, I just it just snapped me back to like the Stephen Menendian Doomsday in the the Vintage Super League where he just has Notepad open and he's just happily typing away as his clock ticks away, like. Like, it's chess clocks. I, I'm a, I'm entitled to these 12 and a half minutes to make my Doomsday pile. Like, if you're going to play Doomsday, please, for fuck's sake, know how to make your pile. That's something that frustrates me about recording uh, my challenges, is that every once in a while I'll get someone that's double queuing. They'll like be playing like the Pioneer Challenge or whatever comes after the Legacy Challenge on Sundays. And they'll just be double queuing the entire time. And... I'll sit there for five, six minutes when they haven't taken a single action. And then once they're down to eight minutes, they start playing at a normal pace. But it's like, come on, like my time is valuable, too. And you're just making me sit here looking like an idiot while I'm trying to record. Yeah, this was a, a hot discussion probably like six months ago on Twitter among Moto Grinders, where it's uh, the the debate was these are my 25 minutes on the clock. I'm entitled to them. Shut up. Versus. I have a life, like, making me sit here, like, on my hands. Like, if we had a sweet game that took the whole 50 minutes, that's one thing. But if you go make a sandwich for four minutes during our match and I'm just sitting here, that's rude. And, like, uh, who? It, it, it's just a, a philosophical debate for the ages that, uh, I like, I don't like when my opponent is double queuing or taking forever. But, like, I'm also not going to be the guy typing in the chat, like, you play slow. Stop. You need to play faster double queuings for jerks like i like like they because like at the end of the day as far as like enforceability they're entitled to their 25 minutes and there's nothing you can do about it so i i like to uh put everything in my life into camps of like can i do something about this no then i'm not gonna stress about it though i do agree it is super annoying especially when you're recording that you have to like start and stop the recording based on like their action it's like uh 
or just like edit out these four minutes later. Like it's definitely more work, especially for content creators to play against someone who's double queuing. I end up on both sides of it because I get, you know, I have to entertain an audience while my opponent is doing whatever. But at the same time, there's times where I need five minutes to figure out something because I'm playing some donation deck list that I've never played before. And they're trying to have me assemble doomsday piles or something like that when I've never done it. So like, I definitely know that there are times where I, I draw deep into the bank. Right. And when you get into it with the chat too, like there, there was one time that I streamed Grixis Delver and I had like uh, Lawrence Harmon and like a, a number of, uh, I think like Eric Virgo was around and like uh, a bunch of like people who are just like smart at Delver. And uh, this is a story I tell sometimes, like I was in a team event once where I was playing Grixis Delver in the Legacy Seed. The other two matches finished. It was one and one. It was up to me. And I was playing against Elves. And I held up my hand. We debated back and forth about what we were going to do. We came to an agreement. Then I made the play. And they were both like, wait, what? Like, Delver lines are so complicated that we you can talk about them directly and still come to different conclusions, thinking that you were having the same conversation somehow. And like... I ended up being right for what it's worth. Like once I explained myself, I, I realized that they were a level behind me during the whole conversation. And when they caught up, they agreed. But like when you're streaming and you're like trying to figure out like, how do I stack this brainstorm? Like there was a one brainstorm in particular when I was streaming Delver one night where, and like Lawrence and like all these Delver geniuses were in the chat. That brainstorm drove me nuts. Like it haunted my dreams. Like just like the stress of like being on the clock and like, these people saying one thing and like someone else arguing with them and me having a different opinion. And you're like, you're navigating it through the, the chat at which there's some like natural delay there. And yeah. So like definitely I can see a streamer needing to use their clock once in a while. So I do this thing every once in a while when I'm recording where I know that if I sat there and got out a pen and paper and like tally down storm count and mana and all this other stuff, if I could get to a line that's probably mathematically guaranteed to win, or I can do something else that's a lot shorter and, like, probabilistic to win. So, for example, I needed to get, like, five Storm. I uh, faced Reduke, like, two weeks ago on a Friday. And I knew that there was probably a way for me to get to, like, 23 Storm to play through Flusterstorm, Veil of Summer, and Swords on a Snapcaster Mage. But I was like, or I can just Burning Wish or Grape Shot, Flashback Echo, and then, like, pray to draw a single mana off this. And then that will be enough storm. And I was like, yeah, that'll probably do. And I just did that instead of spending five minutes trying to figure out the line with wish clause. But in the YouTube comments, there was just multiple people that were like, well, if you did this, 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 and this, and this, like, yeah, but I didn't want to spend five minutes with paper trying to figure that out. Uh, There's actually some really creative lines that came out of that. It's just like, I didn't want to take the time to do it. Yeah, I've had similar interactions where like, I posted a screenshot a while back. It was a, a vintage hand and it was like turn one tinker with force of will backup. And I was just like, what's the play? <laughs> like as a joke. And like Matt Sperling replied and he was like, he had listed out like, like, so with the tinker, you can get Blightsteel Colossus and just protect it with one turn with force of will and kill your opponent. Or you could get uh, Darksteel Citadel, which if the top of your deck is a land, you have to pass. And like, if it's not, maybe you get to go. Or off. if it's a force of war. And like, right. So like, but Sperling replied with this line that like, you tinker for Black Lotus and then like cast some, like a spell, like demonic tutor from a hand or whatever. Like 
there was some other line that was deterministically stormy that like I would not have been able to figure out if I were sitting in a paper match where I have to make my decisions in a reasonable time frame. But then like it prompted the like I, I checked his math and he was actually a mana off. So that didn't even exist. So like imagine if I started doing that math in my Moto League. I spend like two or three minutes mathing that out, realize it's wrong, try to find another mana somewhere, and like, or even worse, like I just throw away my turn one blight steel with force backup because I'm trying to do fancy math. Like it, it's just like there, there is a point where you have to make a practical consideration to move the game forward versus like what might be the perfect play. So Phil, why don't you uh, do the next winner? Okay, so this is winner with big air quotes. So the Breach versus DNT matchup sucked a lot. It was real bad. We were having to warp sideboards very heavily to try and breed, breed, beat Breach. And now we don't have to do that anymore. So that technically makes DNT a winner. However, if you read my recent article about all of the other things that are still good against DNT that are in the format right now, um, it's a very long list. So DNT gets a like tiny little gold star, like you got a little bit better, buddy. But uh, DNT is still on the the struggle bus, folks. We've gone from twenty percent against the field to forty, so not too shabby. Big jump there, big yeah, jump. Yeah, I mean it goes back to my point from earlier, where if like you're a dog, or like if you're not playing breach, you're just playing the worst thing of everything. Like I feel like that's like DNT. Like I got better because breach left, but every deck did. And it doesn't really make you a winner. It just makes you a slightly less loser. Um, but that's a lot of the format. And I think that it's really tough to be a winner out of these Breach bannings if you're an actual winner and not just a deck that got better because Breach left. And then the last deck on our, our, our winners and losers is Eldrazi Post. So I know that Phil personally thinks this deck is a winner. I think it's a loser. Uh, mostly because... While it was really good at beating Breach and Breach left the format, I think the format is going to get slower and larger, which helps Phil's point. Uh, but in general, I think Delver is going to have a good comeback. And Eldrazi Post has traditionally been a little bit weak to Delver. And I think that's where Eldrazi Post might not be the winner that everyone thinks it is. Okay, yeah. When I when I am thinking of Eldrazi Post winning... I am thinking about people tapping out for their Okos. And the post decks are just going to obliterate those Oko decks. You know, they will just go Golos into something that is absolutely terrifying. And the threat density of post is relatively high. And when you couple that threat density with Golos, which is now just tutoring for I almost every single game, um, post seems like a terrifying deck to play against for a good portion of the format. Yeah, so at, on the fair blue side, I gotta say, like, every fair blue deck is playing back to basics or Blood Moon. And in my in my my whole career playing Miracles, like, since the time this deck existed, the last, like, two years or whatever, it's been like, alright, I'm probably gonna lose game one, but I got this in games two and three. And especially if you're on Mentor, like, here's one where Mentor is better than the Terminus and Treat the Angels plan. Like, Jamming turn three mentor against Eldrazi Post, like even with a single force up, you're gonna win that game. Like you're just gonna run them over. Your your mentor is gonna be better than them. You just have to 
you have to fade the whatever the busted the first busted thing they do, then slide mentor in, and then you're gonna win. Uh, uh, so, but if you don't have something to dig for, like if they get the chalice into play before you can start cantripping for your blood moon, you could be in trouble. Uh, if you if they just thought not see your blood moon before it, you get to cast it, you're dead. So it, it's it's a thin thin line, but uh, I, I've generally been comfortable in these matchups with the blue decks. But that's because I build my deck not to lose to this sort of thing. And I don't know that a lot of people actually do that. Yeah, if you're not ready with specific back-to-basics or Blood Moon hate for this kind of deck, you're going to lose. Alright, so let's wrap this episode up with some metagame expectations. Brian, what do you think? So I think it's going to look like it did before Theros. Uh, Just like people are racing to find the perfect uh, four-color Astrolabe deck. Uh, and uh, at versus everyone's individual favorite combo, like whether it's Epic Storm or Hogak or whatever. And I think Blue Green Omnitel will float back to the top because Vale is still real, real dumb. That card's still around. I, but I am mostly predicting a healthy Rock, Paper, Scissors where like Blue beats Prison, which beats Combo, which beats Blue. And uh, like all the flavors among those Rock, Paper, Scissors. And I'm excited to see the other Theros cards that get experimented with now. Uh, so I wrote this list last week when we put our show notes together. And at the top of my list was Dryad of Elysian Grove, which just won the Legacy Challenge two days ago. So that's pretty exciting that already a Primeval Titan Dryad of the Elysian Grove deck is the first big winner coming out of the ban- the Breach ban. Uh, so that's that's sweet. That That's a very powerful card. And the Legacy card pool can certainly slap it around a bit. Uh, Ox of Agonis. We haven't seen that guy show up yet. That's a Whoa, sweet we one. have. Uh, it's in uh, the Dredge. It's another Faithless looting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it would definitely be in a Dredge shell. I just haven't seen Dredge winning. Is it doing uh, it? Somewhat, yeah. There's a few uh, Dredge stalwarts out there. I thought it was super cool the first time I saw it. I played against it last week as well. All right. Yeah, so like those people who are out there dredging... Uh, they're all better off now. Uh, again, Dredge, big winner. Like, like Dredge and Hogak can go hand in hand in any winner circle. So uh, we talked about Hogak. Put Dredge in there with it. Dredge is a winner from the Breach Band. And Ox of Agonis right in that deck. Uh, Satessan Champion. Like I played against uh, Enchantress in my league I recorded. They didn't have Satessan Champion, but there's a bunch of new Constellation cards that could make the cut. And Thassa's Oracle, like, already found a new home in Doomsday after being the win condition in Breach. And it, well, uh, Breach also played Grapeshot, uh, but Oracle was an option. And there's a lot of ways to bust Thassa's Oracle. Like, there's a lot of ways to empty your deck. And uh, Divining Witch, uh, that card, uh, that's a, a spell shaper from Nemesis. And it lets you discard, pay uh, one and a black, I believe, or black to discard a card and cast Demonic Consultation. And that card in the past month has gone from worthless to $4, both online and in paper. So someone's out there trying to break Thassa's Oracle in Legacy and Vintage with their their Divining There's also a Paradigm Shift. All right, Paradigm Shift. Yeah, Uh, actual factual leveler. You can play that card. Uh, You can find a different way to brain freeze, a different way to recur. the uh, Cephalid Breakfast is back. I've seen Javier Dominguez and Andrea Mangucci playing Cephalid Breakfast lately. They've been tweeting about it a lot. Those are some powerful wizards. Thassa's Oracle just made to win win the game out of that deck. So 
Foss's Oracle is a, a tricksy little fella. Uh, like, Lab Maniac has been winning weird games of Eternal in a while, and we can all agree that Thassa's Oracle is a much better card than Lab Maniac, I think. Unquestionably. So, yeah, yeah. And, and so Thassa's Oracle, uh, we're going to see that pop up in a lot of weird places for a long time to come. I don't think it's remotely bannable, but there's a lot of fun ways to mess around with it. So you mentioned Enchantress. I think you picked the wrong card. I think Destiny Spinner is the sleeper pick from the set as the card that is like secretly busted, but is so narrow that unless you're playing Enchantress, the card is garbage. Um, Pre-Breach, I 5-0'd with Enchantress playing Destiny Spinner, and it just felt like the most unfair thing I had ever played with. Um, you know, banned cards aside, because it let you ignore Chalice of the Void. It let you ignore counterspells. It made your win conditions uncounterable. It was like this protective piece that was also a threat, that was also a blocker. It just did everything that I needed it to do. It was amazing. Yeah, in the league I, I played against Enchantress, they did have Destiny Spinners post-board. Uh, they didn't seem to have the main, but after board they did cast it, and it was like, oh, I got to get this game done. I can't count on anything anymore. Yeah, four main mode. Absolutely correct. Have played multiple builds with it. Um, Enchantress is one of those things where if I didn't have a bunch of sub donations for decklists that I was going to play lined up, I would be jamming Enchantress leagues and seeing if I could break that card harder. You can also Greenstone for it, which they're already playing to get, you know, Dryad and uh, Argothian. So that slides right in there. Right. Yeah. To my, to my blue soup players out there, bring in Containment Priest against Enchantress. It may seem weird, but uh, if you snag even one Green Sun Zenith with it, you're going to win. Like that, they're, they operate on thin margins. They have a small number of cards that really matter to turn on all their other cards. And Zenith, like just clipping that is real nice. The, the Green Suns are so disgusting in that deck now because it used to be that Green Sun was only a tutor for your card draw. Now it's a tutor for your card draw, your win condition, and your protection simultaneously for the low cost of three mana, which is turn two. So similar to Brian, I'm sort of expecting a similar thing. I'm expecting Veil to bounce back. I'm expecting a lot of miracles. Uh, Blue-red X Delver. And then I think some people are going to start experimenting a little bit more with another card from Theros, Uro. Uh, I think it's like Titan's Wrath. Is that the full name? Titan of Nature's Titan Wrath. Titan of Nature's Wrath. Uh, and that card started to pop up a little bit in Miracles. It's definitely already in the Strifo pile. It's real good. It allows these four-color pile decks to beat decks that previously were nightmare matchups. I've sat there and watched Miracles outgrind Burn. Just like Burn had this amazing fast start, and then they were just like, Uro, bring back Uro, stabilize, swords this, like just... It really corrects a lot of the mistakes in deck building that Miracles had previously, I think. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Uro in every other format, and I I have a Sabine's Reclamation that I've uh, made my pet card in Blue Soup, and I think that card is just better as Uro in every single deck that I have it in right now. And I, I haven't tried it myself in Legacy, but I've put that card into play in uh, Pioneer, Modern, and Standard, and... It is bananas. And you guys don't play Arena, so you don't know this, but when you cast Uro on Arena, if you look at the art of Uro, he has like a big sucky cyclone mouth, and the big sucky cyclone mouth comes down from the top of your screen and just 
<laughs> sucks on the battlefield for like a second and then he disappears. If you haven't seen that, uh, I don't know, Google it. I'm sure someone has a video. I would like Captain to get Seki that sound clipped. Do it. I'm happy to make that sound anytime. I do it in real life every time I cast Arrow. It's just... Uh... <laughs> so uh, make sure to do that too. If you ca- put Arrow in your deck, you have to make sucking sounds every time you cast him. I'll do that next time I'm on stream with it. Um, I've been playing it in four color loam and it's been pretty good as a one of or a two of there. It does weird things that you don't necessarily think about at the time, but throwing one of those into play versus Delver is horrifying because it's bigger than things like Gurmag Angler and it also gains you life and it's probably a three turn clock at the slowest because they've already fetched. Um, The card puts a lot of tension on the game. Although if you are a multicolored mana base, it's not just free to bring back for four mana. You know, you do need blue, blue, green, green. Uh, and Loam is sometimes a little sketchy with its mana base. Right. So here's here's a little hack if you're building a ma- mana base. So uh, it might seem intuitive that if you have this blue, blue, green, green card that you want a bunch of like tropical islands. But you actually don't if, you, if you're not just playing blue, green. Uh, you want lands that make blue or green. Because if you're, if you're counting your blue and green sources in your mana base math, and you, you count Tropical Island as a blue source and a green source, it's actually only one of those two things when you're unearthing a card that costs blue, blue, green, green. So spread your blues and greens around. Like uh, a Savannah and a uh, Underground Sea might be better than a Tropical Island, like two Tropical Islands. It, like if you're assuming you're a million colors and you're trying to get this thing into play. So just uh, think about that when you're distributing your colors. I don't think I have anything else. Uh, do you guys? No. I mean, the experimentation with cars that were overshadowed by Breach, I think, is kind of the big takeaway from metagame expectations. And we've kind of hit on that a couple of different times. Yeah, uh, I, it, it's still all fresh. Uh, it's already shown us a lot of cool things. Uh, Doomsday's back. Dried of the Elysian Grove is a Legacy Challenge champion. Like they, we're, we're in a brave new world, and it's exciting. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to listen to us talk about coronavirus and post-world breach. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay beautiful, and uh, don't leave your house. And the big sucky cyclone mouth comes down from the top of your screen and just (laughs) sucks on the battlefield for like a second, and then he disappears.